I appreciate it. First Peter chapter five. I ask you to follow along silently as I read aloud, beginning in verse one. You're looking at a preacher believes the Bible says what it means, means what it says. When the Bible's telling you something that's an example or an allegory, it will tell you that. It's in the text. It tells you. When it's not telling you that, then it's dealing with something that's very literal. In this text, it will talk about a literal adversary we have. We being humanity and generally speaking. And specifically, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This adversary is identified in what we're going to read as the devil. I don't believe the devil is a group term for all the evil influence of the world or that. He is actually a created being and uh, who had great power. And according to the Scripture, he corrupted himself with that power and sought to be not a follower of God, but as God and sought to be worshipped himself. His chief characteristic is pride. When he's identified in the book of Isaiah, five times within two verses, he says, I, 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 I. It's always it's pride. And uh, he's real. Um, much of entertainment and much of the, the worldly things in our, our world seek to make him either a cartoonish character to get you not to take him seriously or to glorify Him, or to somehow make it uh, intriguing to find out about Him. I remind you, the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning evil. And so, uh, a lot of things that uh, people are fooling with and people are allowing their kids to fool with, Pokemon cards, Dungeons and Dragons stuff, role-playing games where they become their avatars or become gods. There's no place for Christian people. And that's not something that's just happening out there. And so let's look at the warning here and i give you a, a teaching from the Scripture tonight. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not forth filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. God knows when it won't destroy you. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. There's a real good word that ends with. What would that word be? Amen. Amen. It's a good Bible word, and it means I agree to this or so be this. And so I want to talk to you this evening on the subject to be as serious as He is. Be as serious as He is. One of the great um, things to be learned to live a solid and a uh, proper life for Christ is to learn how to be sober-minded. Sobriety is not being morose. Morose is someone who's just always down. It's certainly not being of the negative type where you find a problem with, with everything that goes on. I was enjoying a good conversation with... Uh, a Christian person, and this has been about seven months ago, eight months ago, and and uh, they said at that time, in fact, it was last fall, and there was a uh, they were talking about how pretty a tree had been they'd seen, and we were talking about. I was enjoying the conversation. All of a sudden, it took a left turn without signaling. It said, uh, "They said, well, I hope the liberals don't find a way to ruin that." And I thought, "Why? <laughs> Why can't we just enjoy the tree?" You know, and uh, a crazy thing with that. Uh, that that that's not being sober-minded. That's just being, well, poisonous. <laughs> um, that's not sobriety. Sobriety does not mean that we can't enjoy. Of course, you come to this church, you know we laugh and enjoy things, and sometimes you laugh with me, sometimes you laugh at me, and both of those are okay. Um, but sobriety is knowing when the proper when to do the proper thing, and also being able to think about things. I. I was talking to a younger person the other day and I told them we were talking about stuff, we were laughing about something and we shifted gears to a very serious subject and then came back again and talked about something else and I told them, I said, I appreciate the fact as you're maturing, I see that more and more in you that you were able to go from, we're enjoying laughing about something to talking about something serious and knowing when to go from one to the other. But to be able to be sober-minded means to be able to look at things as they actually are. The Bible tells us there that we are to be sober and then we are to be vigilant, and we'll explore these things in a minute. But I want you to notice something. Look in verse 7. Notice that verse, which is a well-known verse, casting all your care upon Him, upon the Lord. Why? Because He careth for you. Then, look at verse 9. It says, "...whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world." You say, what is that? Well, sandwiched in between there of casting our care upon the Lord and resisting steadfast in the faith is being sober and being vigilant. Tonight's message, as I mentioned, is be as serious as He is. Be as serious as He is. Uh, Because He's serious. Uh, There's a flippancy. Uh, There's a playtime thing. The most dangerous thing that's coming to American Christianity is the so-called contemporary Christian movement that has turned church into nothing but an entertainment center. And has sought to entertain rather than to instruct. And has sought, has sought to mimic the world and uh, be great performance of the excesses of the world instead of honoring and glorifying the Holy God. And loving the Lord. You know, I'm 
just old enough to remember. And of course, you understand I wasn't in church until I was 15 years old and heard the Gospel. But I was old enough to remember in those early days, 41 years ago when I started preaching the Gospel, I, I remember in those early days, here's what people would say. I want to go to church where I get my toes stepped on. I want to go where I can hear something, learn something. Now you know what they're saying, don't you? Don't get in my personal space. Different world, isn't it? Same Gospel, same need. And uh, tonight I want to help us with this. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together, please. Father, help us tonight. God, my mind... Let me uh, stay right on track with what's most helpful and useful. You love these folks. And Lord, I recognize I have no right to speak to them in any manner that wouldn't be consistent with You. Now I'm going to need Your help to do that. Lord, I've tried to study. I've tried to be prepared. But I honestly need You, Lord. And I pray that You'll bless. and Help me to be a blessing. Help me to speak in the right manner. Not only with the right subject, Lord, but I want the right manner. I want to, I want to talk to Your people the way You talk to them. These are Your folks. You love them. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to love them through your word and to help them and say what needs to be said tonight, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. It's interesting, this statement that it's a continuing statement. Look in verse 8. At the end of it, it says, He walketh about seeking. It's a continued action. It's not a one-time foray out and back. It's a continual looking. I wrote this statement down thinking about that. And it's been on my mind since as I uh, wrote this down maybe a couple weeks ago. His continued seeking, talking about our adversary, his continued seeking necessitates our continued vigilance. If he just came by and then left, all you'd have to do is be ready for that. But his continued seeking requires our continued vigilance. Second thing I put down, because he walketh about, that's a Bible term, he's ranging is a term that you would have for a predatory animal looking for a, uh, to take a kill. He's looking for weakness on every side. And a hidden or a blatant opportunity to take us out. Because of that, we have to be what the Bible calls circumspect. Listen to this, this verse out of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.15 makes a statement. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Easy word to figure out. What is the circumference of something? If you have the circumference, it's, it's, it's around, right? Diameter going through, but circumference is what's around. All right? Walking circumspectly is walking with care on every side. Now I'm going to develop this more scripturally and show you something here. It's worth walking with care on every side. Why? Because our adversary is walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's watching for opportunities. He's watching for a weakness, a thing to go into. He's watching with that sort of thing. Um, you know, another place in the Scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And it goes on down that line. And I remember from being a wrestler, one of the things you do is you're watching. Uh, if we were at, a, if we were at a, 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 an invitational meet where there would be a number of schools there, and if I usually I wasn't first wrestler, I was seated pretty high after a while, and so I got to wrestle a little later in the invitational and wasn't first match out in my weight class, and I could see the guys who I would have to wrestle, and you would watch them. 
And you would see what they would do. You would see how they wrestled. Did they, were they a leg wrestler, a taller guy? You can probably guess I wasn't. Um, I can't even do a figure four. Mine's like a figure two and a half. My legs are so short. But, it's, uh, but it, they have different ways of going about things. And you would watch them. You'd see where their strength was and see where their weakness was. And you, you have that sort of thing going on. Our adversary watches for that. Do you know how much we give away whenever we're not aware somebody's watching? I, I, I've spoken and tried to speak and be a help to sometimes young people in these 30 years of pastry um, that I've watched. I went to the parents before of, of young people and said, hey, uh, just watch with the young and They may be, may be a little extra tension right now. Maybe a little extra loving. Just watch for them. And you say, why, why, why are you saying that? Because I sometimes I'm watching when people don't know I'm watching. And, and you can see the people, they've got accountants, they're looking at somebody, they're looking at adults, they're talking, five. oh yeah, like that. And, that. and then there's a change in the eyes when that adult turns away. There's a change in the eyes when they think nobody's watching. And there's that shifty look. There's that, that type of look that they never do directly to the face. What's going on? The, the adversary sees that. He sees exactly what's going on. And so he sees it as a weakness. He knows that's an area to come into. He knows it's an area. Maybe the person's troubled. Maybe the person, whatever it may be, but they need to know that someone's watching for an opportunity. And we are to walk circumspectly. What does that mean? You watch on every side. You're looking around. Now I'm going to show you something in a moment lest you get overwrought thinking about that. But I'm going to show you something with it. Let me explain to you sobriety and vigilance. Look at what this says there in verse 8 again. Be sober. That's the first thing. Sobriety is proper thinking, as I mentioned to you. There's a lot of different references, but let me just read a few to you. I, I could have you turning, turning, turning to the Scripture, and if later you want to get these references, I'll give them to you. But listen to these uh, statements about sobriety or soberness, and you'll get what it means is to be sober thinking. Um, one was the Apostle Paul when he was preaching before a ruler by the name of Festus. And Festus got so worked up about what Paul was saying that he said, your much learning doth make you mad. Now normally we misuse the word mad. We use the word mad when we should use the word angry. Mad means like, you're nuts. I mean, you've done lost it, right? And uh, that's the Kentucky version of it, done lost it. And so they, but he said, your much learning doth make you mad. And Paul answers, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. How about this? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13, it says, for whether we be beside ourselves, we're kind of carried away with emotion, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. First Thessalonians says this in chapter 5, Therefore let us not sleep as do others. I'd like some of you to take that verse tonight while I'm preaching, please. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. First Thessalonians 5 verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. One of the qualifications of a bishop, one who leads and directs a church, we know as a pastor. One of, one of the qualifications of that, it says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And notice he must be vigilant and sober. Why? Because I will promise you this, every Bible-believing church, every church in this city 
that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ, that believes the Bible is true and tries to help people live for the Lord, and they're throughout the city, every, every church that does that has got a target on it from the enemy. Because if he can make a mess out of that, he's going to affect a lot of lives. you got people all over. I've been knocking on doors, meeting people on the streets of this town for 30 years. And there are people who are not making up excuse, although it's not an, ex an acceptable excuse. But they honestly were in a church situation where they saw so much nonsense. They saw division. They saw so much come in. They more or less wanted to walk away from it. That doesn't excuse anybody from not serving the Lord because the Lord never did them wrong with his people. And what they needed to understand was the Bible tells us not to think of people above what is written about them. And all people, as good as you'll ever meet, and thank God there are some good people you're going to meet, all of them are flawed and have failures. And we need to face that in reality. And not expect out of people what the Lord Himself only has. But what happens... If he can do that, hey, if, 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 he can, if he can get in, if he can mess it up, if he can turn the church against itself, if he can get us proud where we think that, oh, we're God's answer to everything, he will score a victory that has a lot of effect. So be sober. The Scripture says in Titus 2.2 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, Temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Titus 2 verse 4, it says about the aged women that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Fellas, if we ever start feeling cocky about things, remember the Bible specifically says our wives have to be taught how to love us. Does that tell you what we're like? Okay, be serious with this. I just armed you ladies, but I mean, let's, let's be real. God made men out of dirt, so we're, we're kind of dirt clouds running around here. And um, so we need to recognize that and, and uh, try, to, try to follow the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is wrought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And verse, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And you want to know the last time the word sober is used in the Bible? It's what we read in our text here. Be sober. Be vigilant. If you want to come to the culmination of the teaching on sobriety, what it means to be sober-minded in the Bible, it's right here. We're to be sober. Why? Because we have an enemy that's, that's trying, to, trying to get in and trying to destroy us with that. So to be sober. What's it mean to be vigilant? Well, it means to keep awake. Amen. It's to keep awake. That's the first step. You put guards out. You don't want them sleeping while they're on duty. You don't want them sleeping when they're supposed to be watching. Vigilance is watching. It's to be watchful. By the way, our freedoms uh, require constant watchfulness. Constant vigilance of the thing. It's also used in uh, the qualifications of the bishop, bishop, as I mentioned there. Bishop. And uh, what is it to be vigilant? doesn't mean you're up in arms all the time. It means you're watching. You're paying attention. You're going along. You're not just saying, okay, everything's alright. We're not going to have any problems. Your Christian walk, it means you don't feel like you've reached some sort of plateau where you're just cruising. That's where you end up in trouble every single time. It's amazing how many people have trouble right after a major victory. Why? You drop their guard. The Bible says, let him that thinketh he what? Standeth. Not that say the things they don't even have to say. You don't even have to be cocky enough to say, well, I'll tell you what, I got this one. He let him that thinketh he stand to take heed lest he do well. Fall. 
And so we have to be careful that we don't fool ourselves into a position that we don't really occupy instead. Now, let me give you a couple of things with this. Let me talk to you a moment about this, about this vigilance. And I'm talking about us being serious. Um, I, love, I love God's people. I'll tell you a joy to me every week. A joy to me every week. I'm getting ready. And of course, we come in like tonight. We had men's prayer meeting. And then the fellows went out. And you all are coming in for the service. And Sunday morning, the transition between Sunday school and adult Bible classes and the, and the morning service and the hallways are crowded and people going here and there. And I listen to people laughing. I just sit back and listen to it. People are laughing. People are enjoying after the service. Like on Wednesday, there's uh, music practices going on. The kids are having a good time. And I listen to the sound of that. I listen to God's family together and enjoying one another. And I'm telling you, that encourages me. That strengthens me. I, I, I step back and I say, what an amazing treasure that is. That's a great thing to have. It really is. I'm glad for it. I, 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 I love every bit of it. And so uh, I, I enjoy hearing God's people. But I know this. I know in that we've got, a place, we've got to be a place where we take seriously what God's given us to do. The Bible says declaratively that His church is His body. We are the instruments through which God utilizes and accomplishes His will in this world. It is the... The purpose of the body is to do what the head wants. And we learn that through the Bible. What is vigilance? Let me say this to you. First of all, and this is what I wanted to bring to your attention, it's not constant apprehension. Explain to you what I mean. Vigilance is not you running around worried all the time. Oh my, oh my, what something gets me? Oh my, what that's We've had enough of that nonsense in our country. I think some people have become so addicted to fear that they, they want something else to scare them to death. Apprehension is not walking around constantly in fear. Oh my, what if it happens? Oh my, what if the devil gets me? Oh my, what if this and that? No, that's not vigilance. That's paranoia. They're spelled differently. You can tell them apart. It is not apprehension. Philippians 4.6 says this, Be careful for nothing. Not full of care. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, in, every, in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And so what happens? We're not to be full of care. We're not to be careful. Why? But we're to get prayer and supplication, thanksgiving. And let God hear our request. Second Timothy 1.7 says this, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear. Anybody here ever been afraid any time in their life? I have. Do you know that every now and then fear is a good thing keep you from getting killed? <laughs> Give you healthy respect for some things out of fear. But that's different than the spirit of fear. I ran into a person this week, they've never been to our church or anything, but I ran into him through an acquaintance I had. And I watched him. I went into a house, I was visiting with some people. This person sitting over there in the house, visiting, there were three of us sitting there besides themselves, and they were sitting back in the corner, had this double mask and an N95, another mask under it, were sitting back in the corner, wouldn't get near anybody. This is not somebody who's suffering from another illness. And the look of terror in their eyes was, uh, it broke my heart. Why? You can give yourself over to a spirit of fear. There's a world of difference between being smart and doing what you ought to do and living in a spirit of fear. Some people live in the spirit of fear so much of losing what they have 
that they've already lost it because it's of no value or, or, or no uh, benefit to them. Some people live in such a spirit of fear of losing their health that they can't enjoy their health. Some people live in such a spirit of fear of losing their children, whether it be physically losing them or losing them to the allurements of the world and stuff that they don't ever enjoy. All they're worried about is what's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to them. None of us get out of this alive. We need to live and enjoy and, 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 and take things seriously, but not be in this thing of fear. Spirit of fear. Oh, what do we do if? Oh, what do we do? No, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll serve God. We'll realize our freedoms come from God. We'll do what we ought to do. And we'll keep following the Lord. And you know what? We can be wise while, we'll do, while we're doing it. We can be intelligent about what we do. But not give in to a spirit of fear. Well, I invite you to read the book of Nehemiah in your Bible. And find out when the enemies that did not want the wall rebuilt around Jerusalem and did not want the, the, the city of God reestablished, one of the key things they tried to destroy Nehemiah with was fear. They tried to get him to a point where he'd go hide himself instead of doing what he was supposed to do. And uh, he said, shall a man such as I flee? He said, no. He said, we're not going to do it. God sent me here. And uh, not going to do it. And so I want you to understand something. Vigilance is not constant apprehension. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. God gives us discernment. There is a healthy fear the Bible talks about. There's a godly fear the Bible talks about. But not a spirit of fear. But what is He giving us instead? He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's whole. It works right. Where you find the spirit of fear, you also find messed up thinking and distorted reasoning. First John 4.18 is a strong verse along with this. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. What is vigilance? It isn't constant apprehension, but what is vigilance? Since we're spoke look, the Bible says for each of us who are believers. We're to be sober and we're to be vigilant. We've seen what sobriety is. Now what is vigilance? How do we do that? What's that look like? How do we do that? It is not apprehension. Instead, it's application. Hebrews 5.14. I hope you write down some of these verses. Look them up later. It's application. In other words, putting into action what we learn. Hebrews 5.14 says, but strong meat, talking about the meat of the Scripture, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Christianity, belief in the Bible, was never intended to be a theoretical exercise. I don't have a lot of use for theoretical Christianity. That's the kind when somebody says, oh, I believe this, I believe that, they have the great theories about things, but it never gets to putting the rubber to the road and getting to the level of action and living it. But tell me about what a stand you think you'll take for God. Stand. Don't tell me how much you believe in being a witness for the Lord. Tell us about Christ. But tell me how much you believe that we ought to live in the love of Christ. Love somebody. Why? Because God isn't looking for theoretical Christianity. He's looking for us to put something into action. And when we put it into action, that is called vigilance. Why? Because you are putting into action that which God's given you. Okay. 
Way back, and when I was, you know, when I first was starting in school, I told you there was Bible, uh, uh, Bible reading and prayer in the public school where I went, and that was normal in the fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. They started phasing it out, all this sort of stuff started happening, and then they said prayer wasn't allowed in school. And then they gave special exemptions. Well, I'll tell you something: the government's never had the right to tell us to pray or not pray. You just need to get down what things come from God. Maybe just find out what the word inalienable means. It means it doesn't drive from government, it drives from God. And so what happens is, with this thing, they said, you can't pray. Well, that was going on. And then, all of a sudden, somebody said, well, you know, we're going to meet together and have some prayer time. And my question was, who's going to be left to pray? Do you know why the influence of the Bible is not felt strongly in our society? It's because we who claim to be Bible believers have not put into action what the Bible says in our day-by-day living. This is not a theoretical book so that you can agree with a theological statement. This is a book of doctrine which means doing, D-O, that's how you start the word even, to do what we're taught and be followers of Christ. You can't be followers if you're not moving. If we're going to be followers of Christ, it means it affects something in our behavior patterns. And so what ends up happening is vigilance comes about as we do what we should do. Uh, Of course, Jesus taught this more clearly than anybody else could. Maybe you're familiar with the account of the two different houses being built. One upon sand, one upon rock. You know that, don't you? You know what happens, don't you? They got hit by the same storm. Now, we've just had part of our country, a couple parts of us, with serious times. Imagine. I hope you take time to think about it. I hope you take time to see what could be done with it. But suppose, suppose this Sunday, your building's not here anymore and your houses are underwater. And that's reality. That's what people are dealing with right now. And that's not going to be cleaned up in two days. That's some serious hurt, though. But in the account that Jesus gave, there was a storm that hit two different houses. And he describes the storm exactly the same way with both. He describes the intensity of the wind. He describes the, the rain that comes down. He, he, he describes the water that comes up. But there were two vastly different outcomes. One of the buildings, what happened to it? It stood. So whoever was inside it, they were kept safe. Whoever had invested in building it, it was safe. The other one, what happened to it? It fell. And the Bible says great was the fall of it. Maybe indicating... People were injured or killed within that fall. Maybe indicating a total loss of property value, whatever. And do you know what the difference was? The difference was the choosing of the method of building. Apparently, both of them built the same type of house as far as the structure went, but there was a, a major and, for one, a fatal difference. And that's what the foundation was. I told you before, when we built this building, the ground here was not particularly good ground. In fact, we had to dig out big <laughs> brush piles in our, our parking lot before we could put it in because in the 1950s when they put in the first line over there, there were two gas lines that run over here, they buried the brush over here. Well, you don't build a parking lot over buried brush. That's a bad idea. And so we had to have sample borings of, of the soil and, and that sort of thing to see if it could stand the weight of the buildings and that. And like, if you take this one and that pillar there, and actually there's one right now where Brother Carpenter is, don't take it personally, but we had to put big pillars in. Okay, that wasn't just for you, Doug. Um, but we, we had to put those in, and we have a step foundation there, and it goes down, and in some places that thing's seven feet deep, right? It's seven feet deep. 
to hit solid ground and then had to run piers down to that to take care of that. Not because it's such a huge building, it isn't, but the problem is soil was bad soil here. All this, I mean, you remember when the original building, the end of it was right where those double doors are, all this fell away and when they parking, just a couple ground drive. In fact, there's a, there's a picture of it sitting out on the table before you if you want to look at it. And you see that building and what that looks like there, that's what was here when we came on, on property. And so we had to go down deep to make a good foundation. And Jesus said there was a man who built on a rock. And when the storm came and the floods came and the wind came, the rock, the, the, the house stood. Likewise, another man built a house, but built it on the sand. I bet his house got done faster. Man, he was up. Everybody came by and looked. Man, he's quick, you know. It's always fun when you're building something like this and you've got to dig it out and dig it out and dig it out and it would rain and mud would get in it. And it didn't seem like anything's going on. And then boom, all of a sudden there's a structure up. And then it seems like nothing's going on while you finish. And so we were building these things and he built that house. And boy, it went up quick. And boy, it looked nice. But it couldn't stand when the when pressure came and when the storms came, it couldn't stand. It fell. It was destroyed. I'm talking to you about vigilance. I'm talking to you about vigilance in your personal life tonight. And here's what Jesus said about that in Matthew 7.24 and, and 7.26. He said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, listen to this all-important phrase, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that build his house upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, so they both heard the same teaching, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Vigilance has to do with the doing of what we learn, not just the hearing of what we've been exposed to. And so what is it? There is an adversary, a very real adversary, that wants to devour you, destroy your home, and bring you to ruin. And you and I have to be sober. There are no exceptions. You're no different. Things aren't going to turn out differently for you if you go down the wrong path. Don't let the supposed success of fools, the Bible warns about it, lure you. Well, they're okay. God didn't strike them dead. No, you're not going to find the Bible where He says He's going to strike you dead, you do this or that. That's nonsense talk. The train's coming through? Is that you? Brother Jason. A train? Seriously? How's a man not supposed to be distracted if you have a train? Amen. And so... Brother. How soon are you leaving? No, I'm sorry. Don't you, don't you need to go somewhere? Um, but we do have an adversary who very much would like to take us out of action. Jesus said, I am come to give them life. Now listen to the rest of it. And life more abundantly. Not just existence, but an abundant life. Then He spoke of our adversary and said, the thief has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. God wants us to do well and to be able to love Him and to be able to take care of those we have responsibility for. In what we call the Great Commission, simply meaning that which we were given as believers that we are to do for the Lord, it says in part of that, 
after it tells us to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then it ends in verse 20 by saying, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. To observe something is to do it and follow through on it. What is vigilance? Vigilance is constant application. If we're going to be sober, we have to think about things properly and in the biblical way that they're revealed. If we're going to be vigilant, we have to stay at what God's given us to do. Vigilance is watchful. Mark 13.37, but Jesus said, but what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. It's watchful. Pay attention. See what's going on. Check out certain trends. See where things are going. Have sense enough to see some direction. Then it's wakeful. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Our loving Heavenly Father does not wish to withhold from us anything that is good, right, and proper. Nothing that would honor Him and nothing that would be best for ourselves. He loves us more than any earthly father loves their children. And you take the best of fathers, they can't compare with our Heavenly Father. And He knows what will destroy us. He knows what will bring shame to us and disgrace to His name. And He warns us about it. But we get prideful. We get sensual, thinking, well, we have to have the next experience, whatever it is. And in foolishness, we go right into what will destroy us. There's many people around this room right now, you can think about perhaps family members you have, friends you have who have pursued some thing in life that's led to an addiction in their life which has captured and destroyed them. And you've been heartbroken over that person. You've grieved over the wasted potential. You've grieved over how they hurt and destroy themselves. It's not that you hate that person. It's not that you wish they were destroyed. In fact, it's just the opposite. If you didn't care about them, it wouldn't matter to you that they're destroying themselves. And I'm telling you, when Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane was so burdened with the lost condition of humanity that His sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood, when He felt that kind of agony for us, it's because God knew that He made us in His image God knew the good things He wanted to give us and He also knew that He didn't make us as robots. He gave us the single most powerful thing we have, which is the capacity to choose. Which is the capacity to decide. I'll tell you why it's given. I can show you scripturally why it's given. Because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul and all thy strength. And you and I cannot love if we don't have a choice. Love cannot be coerced, not true love. And love cannot be forced. And so God made us in His image and gave us a capacity to love, gave us a capacity to choose, gave us a capacity to receive or reject. He gave us these great things. And what did He say? He said, I have so much for you. I have so much for you. And yet, often we sell ourselves into destruction. We look at Pharaoh in the book of Exodus and we wonder at his ignorance of the statement he made. Here they are with the plague of frogs. Now look, that'd be nasty enough of itself. But a lot of those, a lot of those Egyptians were married. Fellas, think about a plague of frogs and think about what your wife would be like during that week. Be bad? Are you saying you cook frog legs? Is that what I was hearing that? Yeah. <laughs> Brittany, the great deer hunter here, will be cooking frog legs. Uh, I don't think you could eat that many frog legs. Uh, 
But it was a nasty plague. It was a it was it was a horrendous thing. In fact, the Bible is very specific. It says there were so many of them that they went into the needy troughs where they were cooking, and they were everywhere. You couldn't walk without stepping on them. There's a little road uh, outside of Germantown, Ohio, over over near where I grew up, and that little road follows Twin Creek for a little while. And that little road at certain times of the year, frogs. You remember that? Maybe? And frogs would be come across that that road. I mean. Bunch, it looked like they were head breathing. They'd just come out to the creek and come across there. And I'd be driving over to Melvin's to work on the dairy farm, and I'd be trying to avoid them, but you couldn't do it if you had to. And you're driving down the road, pop, 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 and just frog guts everywhere. <laughs> nasty. And uh, that's what they were like. I mean, this was nasty. This was something else and horrible. And Pharaoh in his pride made an ignorant statement that we've duplicated, maybe not to the same scope of things, but just as dumb. Moses comes and Pharaoh said, all right, entreat the Lord for me. He says, I've sinned. He kept saying, I've sinned this lunch. You know, this guy wasn't getting right. He was just trying to get out of trouble. A lot of people do that. And uh, he said, I've sinned this once. He said, entreat the Lord for me that these frogs will be taken from me and from the people. And I love Moses' response. Moses could have been in the southern camp meeting when he said this. He said, well, glory over me. Now, doesn't that sound, I mean, he's having a camp meeting right there. Well, glory over me. And he said, when shall I entreat for you? You know what Pharaoh said. What did he say? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Moses said, I get ready. They think I win. And Pharaoh says, it's going to be on my time tomorrow. I'm going to show you I'm in charge. Give me another night with the frogs. Why? Because I'm Pharaoh. Nobody tells me when to get around my frogs. <laughs> Boy, from the lens of history, looking back at it, we see the foolishness, don't we? But I wonder how often we've occupied Pharaoh's seat. And God lovingly brings us under conviction of sin. Deals with the hardness of heart. Maybe even the matter of believing on Christ as our Savior or not. Making sure that Jesus is our Savior and we don't just have religion. Because religion can never save you. Christ. His magnificent sacrifice of Himself. His powerful resurrection from the dead as He is. And yet, well, one day, well, later, well, all these days I'll, I'll surrender to the Lord. Really? Pharaoh? That's not smart. And that hardness of heart and that pride, that stiff-necked, Ended up costing him everything. Then I finish with this verse, Ephesians 5, verse 14. Let's look at it together, please. Look at the book of Ephesians in your Bible. What is this thing of being sober and being vigilant? Vigilance is not apprehension. It's not a spirit of fear where you're afraid on every side. Oh, oh the devil going to get me and all that kind of stuff. That's not sound biblical thinking. That's not sound biblical truth. There's so much nonsense in the name of Christianity, it, it, it sickens me. Let's get to be Bible people who actually look at the Scripture and have a sound foundation for what we do. But Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this thing of vigilance and talks about this thing of being watchful and, and awake to the Lord. Look in Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Wherefore He saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Then it goes directly into a verse I've already given to you tonight. See then, once you're awake, once you're, you're watching, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, 
but is wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What's he saying? You need to walk circumspectly and you need to be awake under righteousness. You need to be awake unto what God wants for you. Why? Because you have an adversary. I've been doing the preaching of the gospel for 41 years. Actively. Actively. My wife can tell you from when I first uh, knew I was called to preach, I've been actively at it. And I'm going to tell you, this generation, and I'm not talking about a certain age group, I'm talking about we who exist now, is no different than any other. And as a pastor, I've watched generations of young people come through. And it is not those who make some kind of neat profession with their mouth and talk about how neat they are and behave a certain way at church. Those are not the ones that are around over the long haul. It's those who actually do something in their life for Christ. Be as serious as He is because your enemy is serious. I shudder when I think about the mindset of some of the people in the leadership of our nation who think that you can play patty cake with people who are bent on killing you. Sometimes people just have no concept at all that the enemy really wants to take us out. May God help us. I've said all I should. Let's pray. Father, help me tonight to be what this preaching is. Lord, I pray you bless your people with a heart towards you. Have I spoken to any this evening that don't know You, Lord? If so, send them conviction like You did me so many years ago, showing them their needs, showing them Your goodness. Lord, may they not be ashamed or afraid to trust You as their Savior. Lord, I pray for Your people. May they get sober. May they realize the proportion of things and realize, Lord, how good You are. God, I don't understand the kind of love You show towards us. I think about things just since I've been your child, Lord, that you've just been so patient and so good. I pray your people will trust you, follow you, and put into day-by-day living. God, may we be a group of people that live and try to learn and keep growing in the Scripture and not just putting on a church show. God, help us, please. We need it. Lord, every now and then, you know, Father, and the things even this week, I'll be thinking a thought, Lord, and realize that the pride's at the base of it, how quickly that enters in, God, and I need you. I reckon your people do too. Father, we need to hear from heaven. Help us to walk before you in humility and to be real with you, honest with others. God, help us please to live like Christ. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. The invitation's not a tack on here. It's an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God. You don't know that Christ is your Savior. There are a number of people throughout this auditorium who can open a Bible and show you the Bible passages that can show you how you can know that you know that Christ is your Savior. Don't be satisfied to leave here without knowing it. Maybe something you want to come bring before the Lord. Wouldn't it be a good thing if maybe some of you tonight said, I'm going to get serious about being sober-minded. I'm going to get serious about doing this. Why don't you come join these who are already here as we have a song invitation, please.